again like I never left. It's your boy, the Don. Welcome back to the Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another Premier League round match day number 20 breakdown. So much football has happened. And before I get straight into the thick of the action, like I always do every single episode, please make sure to download, to subscribe, and to follow the Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast. I'm making a bunch of TikToks now. I'm all over Instagram posting consistently. I have my own little series where I do, at the end of every Premier League match week, I post a picture showing the most interesting part of a game. And then I give a little like quick thoughts on the match as well. So this is going to be a more of an in-depth version of that. And if you guys want to go see that, make sure to, make sure to go follow me on Instagram and TikTok and Twitter, of course, too. Uh, on Instagram and TikTok at STSFC and on Twitter at SteveOtalksFooty. You'll see me with a picture of my new favorite player who Chelsea have just signed. If you know me, I'm a big Chelsea fan. So the new player that Chelsea just signed in Mihailo, or could we pronounce Mikhailo? I think it's Mihailo Mudrik from uh, Shakhtar. But anyways, that's, that's neither here nor there. Let's get straight into the thick of the action. There is no Mudrik to talk about between Manchester United and Manchester City. Of course, it's the Manchester derby. And if you remember the last game where City absolutely annihilated Manchester United, you know, uh, at the Etihad in the reverse fixture where City won 6-3, you know, Erling Haaland scoring twice, uh, three times in that game and Foden scoring three times in that game. If you actually, if we go back to that fixture, yeah, and we compare the lineups then versus what we saw um, just this past weekend, we'll see the difference. I mean, with the City team that played against, uh, that played against, what's it called? That played against United. How do you know they had Sané? Can't just be playing for City for some time. I don't even know that. Anyways, yeah, so uh, it's a, actually almost the same lineup, except I think Mares is, is the only one that was uh, put into the side, and Rodri as well. But anyways, let's get back to the game. Manchester United 2, Manchester City 1. I thought Manchester City were uh, quite poor on the day, if I'm going to be honest with you. It was not really a game where City showed their prowess, and they haven't been doing that for some time. I think Manchester City have been going through their own little lull recently. And that's probably done to many, many things. I think, in my opinion, this is my personal, humble opinion, I think that because they've won the Premier League so many times now, they're kind of disinterested in winning it. It sounds like a naive thing to say, and like, oh, just a cop-out. But I genuinely believe that. I think that players, they get kind of bored, especially because a lot of the City players are the same core that have been playing for Manchester City for years. They've gotten kind of tired of winning the Premier League. It sounds strange to say, but it's true. And I think for them, they're really mentally, especially Guardiola, I can tell, and you can see it in what he says in his press conferences, how much he wants to win the Champions League with Manchester City this season. And I see said it many years before, of course. We heard him say this year after 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 year. And we're always like, is this going to be the year Guardiola? And we're like, oh, and then he said, you know, he said, yeah, you know, we just couldn't win it this year. We were just not ready, blah, blah, blah. Squad wasn't, you know, complete enough. Uh, in this game, United, like I said, were definitely the more deserving team. I don't know if they deserve to win the game. I thought this game should have been a draw. And obviously, yes, because of the corruption that we saw with the uh, the goal that was given to Bruno Fernandez. I don't care what anybody says. I mean, by the letter of the law and by what I've seen by watching countless uh, goals like this and opportunities in games not be given, goals not be given because of the... Um, What's it called? Because of the fact that Rashford had interfered. Not, I know he didn't touch the ball physically, but you, there's still a ruling that you can interfere play even without necessarily touching the ball with your feet or knee at all. And uh, I felt like that goal really changed the momentum for Manchester United. That goal is never given. I don't know if they win this game 2-1. That's what I mean. And maybe they get a draw. And that would have been fair because, like I said, they were arguably the better team on the day, especially after they had conceded. They've really, really turned up from the 60th minute onwards. And on that goal, actually, that Manchester City scored to peg back Manchester United. Um, Manchester City scored a really, really wonderful goal. And they still have their moments of class in games, even though they've been playing really shockingly recently. You know, poor result against Southampton. I still can't believe they didn't 
beat Southampton. I mean, we'll get to Southampton later this episode. They've actually been pretty good. I mean, let's be real. They've actually performed quite well uh, as of recently. But it's pretty funny to me because um, uh, Manchester City score a really good goal. We have to. De Bruyne finds Grealish. Grealish comes, just, just comes on. He literally just comes onto the pitch for Foden. And then they score, make it 1-0. And I'm like, okay, you know, here comes come City's classic win. You know, we're going to score one more goal. Maybe Haaland will get on the score sheet from some crazy cross. One more crazy cross from De Bruyne. And that will be the end of the game. And then, as we saw, I mean, that ended up being the complete opposite. United definitely took the game by the scruff of the neck. And the uh, the goal that they scored was, like I said, it was obviously offside due to the involvement from Rashford and throwing off both the um, the defender, Nakanji, and uh, the keeper in Ederson as well before Bruno was able to kind of slap it into the back of the net. But regardless, United were building momentum to score. That was a fact. And if you didn't see that, then you're being naive and you're being, um, what's it called? You're being nonsensical. Because it's obvious United were going to get back into the game and find a way to somehow muster something from the match. Like They look like a different team at the moment, United. I'm not going to go on a limb and tell you that this is like a title-winning side or they're going to go win the Europa League or whatever, even necessarily win the trophy this season. I think the EFL Cup, that, that could definitely be there, be theirs, and I'll give them the credit for that. However, that's not a trophy that you know most football fans, including United fans, really rate. Um, but a trophy is a trophy, and it's a step in the right direction underneath Eric Ten Hag, for sure. Um, he's obviously done a very good job recently in finding a system that really suits, especially his best players and Casemiro and suits uh, Marcus Rashford, who again was involved in both of these goals. First one wrongfully, as I just said, and second one where he scored himself. Um, City, on the other hand, with Guardiola, look like they, they look a bit out of sorts at recent. I was talking to a City fan, shout out Hugo, if Hugo, you're listening, this is for you. But um, yeah, and another City fans that I know as well, they were saying to me, you know, uh, the team struggles a bit more when you have Haaland in it. And it's also because the players, especially the fullbacks in particular, have really struggled in Walker and Cancelo, who haven't been as imposing as they normally are in fixtures. And I mean, that's partly due to injury. That's partly due to a lot of minutes that are being played. Obviously, both of them played in the World Cup. I mean, Walker barely played what he did. Cancelo playing for Portugal. Obviously, Walker playing for England. And I just feel like that really just threw them off. And I mean, United, they look a bit fresher. They look like they have a bit more ideas at the moment. I would never tell United are better than City, especially not recently. Uh, I think City will still find a way to be in the thick of things in the season, in the Premier League this season, despite this loss. But again, things have not been going great for them. It's clear, even the wins against Chelsea, in my opinion. And I'm not saying this to be biased. I've heard City fans admit this to me as well. Those wins against Chelsea were also just a bit fluky, in my opinion. Even the 4-0, yes, they beat Chelsea. Yes, they deserve to win. I'm not going to deny that. Uh, I'm not uh, naive. But I don't think that, they, that they've been playing at the caliber that we know they can play. And yes, you're going to have a guy like Haaland who will score you goals all the time. But I always argue in the final point before we move on to the next uh, fixture, next big six fixture, especially you guys know how the order works nowadays. But um, yeah, I want to mention that I think that with Haaland, uh, City had to play differently. They had to play a bit more direct and they had to go a bit more long early as meaning they have to go from center back or midfield deep midfield to, to Holland almost immediately as opposed to being with the build up and that nice I don't want to use this this word but just for the sake of you know a lack of words rather for what I'm trying to say there's less of that intricate you know flipping and interchanging of positions and and tiki taka football that really off put defense that have been off putting defenses for years and if you want City two three years ago which is actually what Arsenal kind of looked like now funny enough I mean Arteta really took that blueprint and ran with it um but uh you could see just how difficult it was to track and keep up with what Manchester City were going to do next. I think with Haaland, they're a bit more obvious. And Haaland's a great player, but he's not a complete striker yet, obviously. This is not Lewandowski. This is not Benzema at, you know, at Madrid. Uh, this isn't even Osman at Napoli, I would argue. And I'm not saying Osman is better than Haaland necessarily, but Osman has a, gives you an outlet to Napoli, who plays similar to Manchester City in some ways, you could argue, that allows them to be a bit more uh, dynamic in their, in their play. 
I think with Haaland, he's a bit too static, a bit too stationary, a bit too uninvolved. And again, that's partly because of City system. That's also because of how Haaland plays. And when I say City, City system, I mean the new City system and how Haaland's always been played. I mean, that's not true, actually, because at Dortmund, Haaland was quite involved in build-up. But at Manchester City, he's just asked to be a poacher, which is fair because he's one of the best in the world at doing that. I, I would tell you he's a robot. He's Mr. Inevitable for a reason. But I don't know if Haaland is the long-term answer for Manchester City. I think in the Champions League, he might be. I think that might be what makes it, allows City to win the Champions League this season. I think Haaland can be that guy. But I don't know in the Premier League if he's what you need on a week-to-week basis. I've been looking at someone like Julian Alvarez, who's literally the Sergio Aguero region is what I'm going to call him. And he'd be perfect for them by Manchester City time. You know, just more diminutive, a bit more, even a bit more, um, no, just more technically proficient, more capable on the ball than Haaland is. I mean, Haaland isn't, isn't terrible in, in possession, but you're not expecting him to, you know, to link up beautifully with the other three midfielders behind him or with the wingers behind, behind you know, around him all the time. That's not his game. Uh, so, anyways, that was just my, my two cents on the match. I thought United, like I said, they, they grew into the game very well. Um like I said, of course, Casemiro had the game of his life. I thought he was excellent. And uh, I thought even, you know, the likes of uh, Varane and... Um, who, did, who played next to Varane? Varane and Shaw. Luke Shaw, funny enough, actually defended fairly well. I thought they kept they held their own very well in this game. And that was what, you know, we set United on the way to win it. So, fair play to Manchester United. They play Arsenal next, and you know what's going to happen. That's going to be a very, very, very big game. Arsenal only lost once this season. The only team to beat Arsenal, which is... I mean, Thomas Partey list Arsenal, so they probably would have won if they had not. They probably should deserve to win that game, looking back on it now. But the only, the only team lost against Arsenal is Manchester United. So we'll see what that looks like going forward. That was going to be a very, very good game. That's one I'm really looking forward to seeing. I want to see what the top of the table clash is really saying. Although, I don't really think the quality of the Premier League this season has been very good, vis-a-vis the top teams. I think the rest of the league, of course, Brighton, Brentford, Fulham's, they've been excellent. Uh, even your... Um, What's it called? Even your villas have been hot and cold, but you have some teams that are performing. Newcastle, obviously, performing very well. But um, get to them, too. But uh, what I wanted to add was that I feel like, the uh, aside from Arsenal, we're not seeing that much sheer quality on a consistent basis from the other teams, which I think is also partly due to the World Cup and, you know, just a lot of fixtures and, and overplaying the players, etc., etc. And, that, again, that just makes things less and less competitive than it was, you know, maybe a season ago or you expect a couple of seasons ago in the Premier League. But when we move, uh, whoa, English, English, woo, English, English, English. The next game we move on to, which, uh, which is Brighton versus Liverpool. And again, this is Brighton 3, Liverpool 0. And again, I predicted this game would finish a 2-2 as a draw. I knew that Brighton would pick up at least a point against Liverpool, but Liverpool have been making Chelsea, who have been shocking the season themselves in the Premier League, making Chelsea look like uh, you know prime uh, Real Madrid underneath uh, Mourinho. And uh, Liverpool, uh, like I said, you know they just they look this look shot of all confidence of 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 of, uh, of unity of a sense of understanding. I I don't even know what to say at the moment. I'm quite surprised. I mean, I expect so much from Liverpool. I'm going to go out and say now my goal of the week, you know, my Steven Talk Soccer goal of the week. It's out now, guys. Listen up. In three, two, one, my goal of the week has to be Sally March's second goal. Was it? Yeah, his second goal. Actually, is that true? I mean, there's a contender. There's a toss-up between you know, this goal and another goal I'll get to later on in this episode. But the first one, or at least the one I want to consider for sure, is the Sally March second goal for Liverpool uh, for Brighton, which was absolutely incredible. Great ball from Ferguson to find his feet. And then, I mean, Sully March didn't even take a great touch there, really. He had to kind of, you know, put the ball to his side where he took it to the side of himself. He regathered his footing and then was able to lash a strike that I literally don't know how he scored this. I mean, physics could never explain because 
how he's able to kind of readjust his body while the ball's underneath his feet. Like it's underneath his, it's like the back lift had, I can't, I, look, look at me, I'm, I'm speechless. I, I don't even have the correct scientific word or even English words to articulate this. Just know he was an incredible goal. And if you haven't seen it, you have to see this one. This is the goal where you think to yourself, like, yeah, there's not many players in football that can do that. And Sully March is not known for being a guy that scores goals that not many, not many footballers can, barring the one against maybe Southampton earlier this season, which, again, was a screamer, but we've seen those before as well. But anyways, I guess more of Sully March prop will continue because he obviously scored the first goal for Brighton as well after some great, great, great play from Matoma. I don't know how Matoma didn't get the assist for that. I don't know if he made a deflection off of someone. But again, great build-up from Brighton and then finding its way to, Mito- uh, to uh, Sully March. Who makes it 1-0 for Brighton and makes, makes it 2-0 with a great goal, like I said, to beat Allison, who's impossible to beat, in my opinion. And then uh, you had Danny Welbeck. And, I mean, when Welbeck scores against you, the game is done. And, uh, again, who, who got the assist for Danny Welbeck? Only one man other than himself, Sully March. And, again, it, I think he's 28 years old, Sully March. He's not 20, He's not 18. And, I mean, that means he's obviously closer to the end of his career than the start of it. And, of course, I've watched Sully March for years at Brighton with under Chris Hutton, under Graham Potter, and I've never seen him be as decisive and as as influential as he's been now he's kind of looking like a Berardi but just a bit more dynamic I guess a bit more consistently um threatening not just from the funny spot like Berardi is for Sassuolo and he was for De Zerbi when De when De Zerbi was coaching Sassuolo and uh, and with that the Domenico Berardi but looking at um at this Brighton team which again I think I always give Graham Potter credit you guys know how much I love Potter at Brighton I know I'll even love him in my club now I'm a huge fan of his. I always will be. I think his philosophy is, is one of the best I've seen in recent modern football. The Zerbi's been able to take that and, you know, make them even better. I have to give him his credit, too. He's made them a much more uh, clinical team. They score goals on a more regular basis. They look a lot more dangerous in front of goal. They're more potent. They're more efficient in front of goal. Their XG is even better than it was before sometimes, which is crazy to say could brighten our literally XGFC. Uh, but just really a, a step in the right direction and, and then some. They have they always have a good game against Liverpool in them too, Brighton. They have an, always have a good game against Liverpool in them. And that was shown yet again in the way that they were able to completely obliterate this Liverpool team. I mean, Liverpool have looked, like I said, looked shot for ideas. Salah, terrible performance. Cody Yakpo was barely involved. There was one chance that Trent set up for Oxlade-Chamberlain. Yes, I'm saying Oxlade-Chamberlain in 2023. I know, it's crazy. Trent setting up, setting up a great chance for Oxley chamberlain with the outside of his boot, which is classic Trent. We're getting used to that now. He really has that one of the most delicate eyes for a pass that I've seen, arguably, ever. Uh, great ball to find Ox, and again, Ox should be doing better there. When you don't score that chance there, in my opinion, you know the game is over, because Brighton are only going to build more and more momentum, especially at home, a place that most teams go and struggle. Uh, and that's the Amex Stadium, if you didn't know. Um, but anyways, Brighton with a huge win. And I mean, I don't know what more else to say about Brighton. Because Brighton only continue to impress me week in, week out. And they've always been decent for the last couple of seasons, like I said, since Potter took over. Uh, especially in, the, in his second season, Potter. But especially recently, they've really taken a new step. They're obviously currently sitting in seventh place. And they're only eight points off uh, fourth. And five points off Tottenham in fifth, which is, again, pretty impressive. They play against Leicester City next, and I'm telling you they're going to win that. And, I mean, I don't care whether they're playing home away against Leicester, they're going to batter Leicester. This Brighton team is ready to cook up most teams in the Premier League on any given day. You know, only team they couldn't beat was Arsenal in recent form, yeah? And Arsenal, who we'll get to in a minute, have been genuinely sensational this season. That's no word of a lie. They've been utterly, astonishingly good. That's even a word. That doesn't even make sense. But, again, we'll get to the Gunners in a bit. Uh, We'll actually get to them next. But, um, yeah, Brighton with the good win. Klopp obviously in the mud. I don't, people are saying, is this a Klopp issue? Is this a, just a simply an ownership issue? Is this ownership meaning at the lack of you know investment? I would argue that this is a product of two things. And I think it's been a trend all throughout the season. The loss of Sadio Mane has been number one. 
and never replacing Jeannie Van Album for me is number two. And this Liverpool team, yes, they have their injuries. Yes, you know, they, they played the most games out of everyone else, just like Chelsea did. Both of them played the most games in the, in, out of everyone at every club in Europe last season. 63, I think it was, or 62, whatever the number is. And um, I think that's taking its toll now, especially this clock rock and roll football. We say this every season, but it's becoming more and more apparent. They're playing international football, which then mixes into the how Klopp plays his high-pressing gig and pressing style, which requires you to be obviously using exerting a lot of energy on a week-to-week basis. Liverpool would need a much deeper team and to bring on Ben Doak. Is it Doak or Doak? I don't want to butcher his name, but him. Bringing on Harvey Elliott, bringing on Joe Gomez. I mean, these, Joe Gomez is more of a regular. But Elliott, for me, is not the answer. I never thought he was. I mean, Joe Matip coming off is just comical for me. I don't think he should even be playing for Liverpool. I never thought he should have signed him. That's not a centre-back I rate. Um, Kanate wasn't bad. But I just feel like that midfield needs to be revamped as well, just like Chelsea's does. And just like all United's has been revamped, and that's how they're able to kind of somewhat survive for the meantime. They've been able to string along a couple of good performances, and even more, you could argue. But uh, this Liverpool, need, they need a lot of surgery. And... Uh, they need to, I mean, apparently Qatar people want Qatar, people in Qatar want to buy Liverpool. And if that's the case, then, you know, money will, be, will really be coming in. But if they get that investment, then things could change for them for sure. Because they need to recover from their, their you know, they're falling behind in a way. Because they don't look like Liverpool that I remember being so scared of. Literally every week thinking they're going to win 7 nothing on their own. Salah's going a hat-trick. And, you know, if the Mane was there and Firmino as well. So, hope we got Yakbo can settle in properly. I think he will. He's still too good of a player not to. And I think we'll see the better of Liverpool, best of Liverpool later on. I mean, they play Wolves in a replay, which should never have been a replay, to be honest, because that game should have ended as a Wolves win. But that's a different story for a different day. Anyways, when we come back from the break, we'll be looking at the uh, the North London Derby. And then, of course, taking a look at games between Chelsea and Crystal Palace, London Derby, as well as uh, Newcastle's game against Fulham. As, and then, of course, obviously, the other ones kind of in quick succession as well. When we return from the break on the Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast, Premier League match day 20 breakdown. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we are now on to the North London Derby. Well, this was not really a game. I thought this was just more of an exhibition for Arsenal, playing against a team wearing white bibs or whatever in training practice, and that was it, because only one team really showed up to the pitch at, what do you call it, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Uh, you know, attendance... Of a, what felt like a you know like a million people. The crowd was loud for Spurs. I will give them that, especially from what I heard early in the early stages. But um, I'm going to be real with you. It was not a game that uh, you know Spurs fans will want to remember at all, if ever again. Uh, I mean, Arsenal have been cooking Spurs in recent memory, and they continue to beat them all the time in the head-to-head. Actually, according to what I'm seeing here in front of Arsenal have won 12 times, Spurs have won 11, and they've drawn seven times. So that's really interesting. Arsenal now taking that you know full. Uh, lead in that statistic but again Arsenal were again by far the better team I mean they completely sucked in and pushed in um what's it called Tottenham to, to no end Spurs playing this fossil football as my boy expresses loves to say you know and they just have this style of play with Conte which I think is outdated I don't think it works in the Premier League anymore in my opinion I think it's something that you need Conte would need to get either the perfect personnel like literally the perfect like he has like the pick of the draw like at the draft you know First pick in the draft, every single every single pick he would get, you know, that would be, be Conte's dream. Because then he'd be able to assemble his squad completely, and then it might give him a chance to win games like this. But um, just to say that Arsenal, again, completely suffocated Tottenham from minute one. And you always knew Arsenal were going to win the game. I predicted they'd win 2-1. It could have been that, being if Son was a bit, you know, more clinical. He has his chances in the game. I mean, Spurs had an XG of 1.60, which tells you that they had literally the same XG as Arsenal. Did. Close, Arsenal had 1.85 XG. Um, which just, I mean, expected goals telling you 
that clearly the game could have been 2-2 theoretically. But obviously, we know Arsenal were by far the better team, especially in the first half. They just looked like ripping Tottenham to shreds. Spurs did improve, of course, their second half FC. Like we say, we know their, their performances pick up in the second half. But it wasn't enough to say, like, yeah, like Tottenham are going to really batter them. And, I mean, you have players like Martin Odegaard scoring goals that he's scoring and Saka, who's, again, involved in everything that Arsenal do right now. Uh, that's excellent, scoring a goal. That, which, I mean... Let's be real. Saka's a great player, but that goal should not be, should not be, it should never go in. The shot he takes should never go in. And Lloris, again, more diabolically bad goalkeeping. And uh, it just shows you um, how much Spurs need to do to improve. Because I think Spurs have gone backwards, actually. Since sacking Pochettino, they've gotten worse. And yes, they might have finished in better places. Fair enough. I don't care about that. But I don't know. I, I mean, I'm trying to remember how I felt as me as a non-Tottenham fan. Like, did I think that Tottenham should sack up Pochettino? Like, I knew it was coming, but I don't know if I necessarily fully agreed with it. I have to go back into my archives of my mind to kind of remind myself, of, you know, a little flashback moment. That's a Raven style. Um, but I do think that the Spurs team, like I said, they have so much quality in that front three with Kolosevsky and Kane and Son. And even Richarlison, I think he can also displace one of those guys. Definitely not Kane, but one of the wingers. I just feel like, you know, they need more creativity. The fact that Spurs don't play with a 10 to me is absurd. I don't know why I don't see a 10 in that team. There's no creative midfielder that plays just in front of the two in, in deeper in midfield. You're asking Hoybier to be, you know, be, to become Tony Cruz. And you're asking Pape Mate Sar or whatever. I don't, I don't want to butcher his name, but Sar in the midfield too, who's just making his first couple starts for Spurs. You're asking him to be pinging out passes and, you know, be playing incisive through balls a la Santiago Gazzola, who I love, by the way. It's one of my favorite players of all time. Uh, from the Gunners, if you know, you know. But uh, asking him to be Santi Cazorla and distributing the ball from deep, but that's not what they, they're meant to do. You know, and Spurs, they need that creativity in the team. I thought they should have signed Lucas Paqueta. And I think Paqueta, if he's going to leave West Ham, see West Ham get relegated in a, you know, a, a Fugazi world, probably will never happen. But you, you, you don't know. Football is super, super unpredictable. Stranger things have happened. If Paqueta were to have gone to Spurs, for example, that would have been the perfect move. He would have been perfect for Spurs. I think he would have served them to OT, and that would have been the kind of player they would have used to kind of give them that, that life, that sense of like uh, invent, invention, in, innovativeness, or whatever the word is, uh, like kind of like that spark of, of uh, inspiration and um, and uh, distribution that allows Spurs to score goals and get the ball to Kane, who I literally saw in his own half, not in, not even during a set piece type of thing. Kane was in his own half, just in the regular game, just in a regular moment in the match. Kane had dribbled all the way back to, to his to where his goalkeeper was to clatter the ball out to the white to the right English wide right section where Doherty was, and just you know the loose possession and give it away to, to, to Arsenal in the process because it was a poor pass. And I just thought to myself, your striker, your striker, your striker is dropping back to that's the next to his keeper, Lloris, the two captains, bro to his keeper to go ping out a pass to the right side and miscue it to begin with and having to be forced to do that to begin with because no one else is, is being able to find a way to, you know, link up the ball and stretch the, stretch the field, force spurs and get the ball going high up the pitch at a quick speed or at a relatively quick speed. We know yet how difficult it is to break out of Arsenal's press. So from that, from seeing that, I said, yeah, this game is done for. I barely even wanted to watch the second half. I couldn't even be bothered. I was like, yeah, let me go play soccer for myself, which I did. And I bagged, so, you know, kudos to me. But <laughs> and that's, 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 I'm just messing with y'all. But, I mean, I did play. I did score. But um, just to say that the game didn't really have any relevance anymore. Once once Arsenal had made it 2 nothing from my regard, who, like I said, has been, for me, the best player in the Premier League this season. I think he's been clear. Uh, clearly, head and shoulders, the most impressive player to me. He's really stood out to me. I knew he was good. Yes, I know. I've seen him when he was younger. And, obviously, Madrid scouting him is for a reason. Madrid don't scout bad players normally. And... um 
he's impressed again in his team, you know, and he continues to do so on a regular basis. If I keep watching there, come on, Arsenal will be here forever, but they deserve to be where they are on the table. That's all I'm going to say. They've been, I guess, by far the best team I've watched this season, and they continue to show that uh, week in, week out. So credit to them. We'll see what happens when the Europa League and stuff come into the mix, but I think in the meantime, they'll be very, very dangerous right from now until the end of the season. But now moving on to the London Derby. Another London derby, but just a you know, regular London derby between Chelsea and Crystal Palace. We'll go over this really quickly. Y'all know me. I'm a Chelsea fan. I'll have my Chelsea therapy episode on TikTok out at some point, too. You guys can see me talk about this game in more detail. But just very quickly, just to mention, you know, Chelsea finally with the victory with, with after what feels like an eternity, you know, a lifetime and a half before we last won a game, since we last won a game. Uh, I thought Chelsea were actually... We weren't great. I mean, let's be real. We're still waiting for a lot of our injured players to return to the lineup. And I think those injuries are really hampering this Chelsea team from being something significant. Uh, I don't think Chelsea are finishing anywhere near higher than maybe sixth or seventh place for the season at best. I'm not naive. I don't ever think I'm not trying to tell you guys. Yeah, you know, like, should we send this guy? We're going to become good. And I mean, for me, the only highlight the first half really is telling you how much how dead the game was was the announcement of my of my new favorite, of my Ukrainian Don, my boy. I'll keep you know kind of shamelessly propping him in Mihailo Mudrik. That was the only real like uh, what's it called? That was the only real highlight from the um, from the first half. And if you know who Mudrik is, really quickly, I just give you a quick little insight. He came from Shakhtar. He played for Arsenal of Kiev at one point in his career, which is not a team in, in Ukraine. Obviously, Ukraine is obviously going through their own. Um, political and geopolitical issues and i really hope that that gets resolved when it does and when it, and, you know, in the near future um but mudrick obviously wanted to move i mean it's funny because arsenal wanted mudrick as well and they were saying oh he's so good he's so good he's so good and then chelsea swoop in to hijack and take mudrick away from arsenal and then all of a sudden uh arsenal fans tell me here and i keep saying he's terrible he's terrible he's just a pace merchant he can't do anything else anyways mudrick for me if you guys don't know he's a young player he's 21 22 years old uh coming from shakhtar had, had a breakout uh, you know champions league uh, start to uh, break out kind of breakout um i guess breakout to the scene you know in the champions league recently in the last uh, two or three months and also doing very well in the in the you know when he's playing in ukraine as well but he came to the scene you know he's been ripping it up and lighting it up week in week out he's a player with so much determination i mean he said his idols cristiano ronaldo if you hear that you know the player is serious because people that look up to ronaldo take the game to a, mentally to a level that you're never going to see. I think Ronaldo is one-on-one that way with his mentality, at least, you know, before all this shenanigans of one of Saudi Arabia and all these interviews and stuff. But you know what I mean? And even then, Ronaldo was still talking facts. But the point is, is Mudrik comes from that kind of school of thought. Very, very determined player. Has full of energy, full of speed, extremely explosive. He's one of the fastest things, fastest, fastest humans, fastest things, fastest footballers I've seen play in a while. He just has so much energy and so much um, passion, like pace and power, as we say. But he's very physical, which I like as well. He's getting a lot stronger. And, you know, a player like that for Chelsea should only make them better. But anyway, enough of my Mujic rant. That's an own little tangent that I just went on there. I'm very sorry. Let's get back to the game. Crystal Palace were very poor. Chelsea were very poor. It was like a mid-off. Two teams that are completely mid this season, especially, I would actually argue, especially, especially, especially Chelsea, extremely mid. Um, I mean, we're not even seeing Mark Correa in the lineup. We're playing an 18-year-old at left-back because our, our starting left-back or our other alternative left-back we bought in the summer isn't can't you know can't get into the squad at the moment, which to me is outrageous. But anyways, Chelsea had a, then I had a debut for ben, Benoit Badiashil, who I thought was actually very good. I thought he was quite composed on the ball. I hear a lot of mixed reviews about him saying, you know, he looked a bit shaky. He did. He did look a bit shaky in the beginning. I do agree. But I feel like he grew into the game the way you'd expect, uh, you'd hope a new debutant would. I mean, I hear so many things and I see so many different French defenders, Konate and, you know, um, Badiashil now, Wesley Fofana, William Saliba, the list goes on. Even uh, Axel de Sassi, the list goes on, Monaco, the list goes on with all these French centre-backs. And I hear, I, like I said, they come in like a huge conveyor belt, a, a factory of these young, like aggressive, but 
very, very intelligent, um, composed defenders. And it was interesting because Levi Colwell was actually watching the game in the stands. And Colwell was having a you know the season and a half since he's coming to the side for Brighton. And I think he'll probably come back to Chelsea. I don't know how much Potter rates him. But uh, Badishil had a great game. Uh, I thought Ziyech had a brilliant game. The pass he gave to Havertz was exactly the kind of ball you expect Ziyech to play. He was influencing every moment of the match for Chelsea that was good going forward. And, like, of course, Kinkai, who missed a couple of chances himself, he admitted that, uh, you know, post-match. But the goal he did score was well taken. And, I mean, even though he's not necessarily being played in his right role and being the, you know, the, the um, used, utilized in a system that really suits him, I still believe I think Chelsea have a lot of work to do before we see the best of Kai Havertz. And he may even leave before we ever see that. However, he's still finding ways to score goals. And I feel like keeps up the swarm will be good for us going forward because we just need someone to put the put the ball in the back of the net. You know, and from a palace perspective, they haven't beaten Chelsea in twelve attempts now. And I mean that's not really saying too much with Chelsea or with all their spending power and their pool power recently and you know the new ownership and things. You're not expecting Palace to beat Chelsea and this is like a bad day for Chelsea on, on an off day. You know, but Palace didn't even turn up really. I thought Palace were quite poor barring the uh Great saves from Kepa, uh, no, great saves that were forced by Kepa, that were, you know, shots, shots that were struck from Dukure from Palace and Elise as well. It would, I'll be real, I don't even know how Dukure stayed on the pitch, but it is what it is. Anyways, Chelsea win one nothing, and hopefully they can take in this big this momentum into the next game. But let's be real, if you're playing with J5 in your midfield against Liverpool, you know you're going to get cooked. And if I see him in the, because that's what Chelsea play next, if I see Liverpool, Chelsea, and I see uh, J5 and I made for that at Anfield next week. It's going to be a long day for us. So I don't expect, Chelsea fans do not expect us to pick up a run of form. This might be our Bournemouth moment all over again. At least we won a game this month. You know, at least we won a game this month. I thought we were going to go completely win this this month, which would have been crazy. So that's good news. But anyways, let's move on. Moving on to ta- uh, Newcastle versus Fulham. And uh, this game finished one nothing to Newcastle after some weird, weird moments. I mean, there was a penalty shout. You know, on um, and from from Pereira, who got fouled, uh, you know, potentially got fouled and kind of been given a penalty. You obviously had the uh, the penalty that was then actually awarded to Fulham in the first earlier in the in the first half, I believe. Yeah, for Mitrovic, and um, it was uh, it was a very interesting first half of football, I have to say. No, second half was when Mr. Mitrovic, Mitrovic missed the penalty, but. Um, yeah, just to say, it wasn't even a penalty to me to begin with. Bobby de Cordova, de Cordova Reed completely sold that. I was never a pen, in my opinion, but it is what it is. That's football. You know, the refereeing this, this weekend has been utterly atrocious. You know, pinch me if I'm uh, if I'm alive. You know, I mean, I'm not even that's, that's not even the right expression. But oh, I'm gonna act like I'm shocked now. Pretends to be shocked about this terrible, abysmal officiating in England. Because mm. I haven't mentioned that before in this podcast. Yeah. You guys can listen to many other episodes. I've said this many, many times. There will always be my potential rods of the week. And again, they can also be that again. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. Regardless, Newcastle win one nothing. Alexander Isak comes off the bench in the 71st minute and bags a brilliant goal and probably the most important goal of his Newcastle career up until now. A goal that will be living in the memory of many Newcastle fans, especially, you know, obviously the ones at the stadium, but anyone, you know, just affiliated with Newcastle. Isak will never forget this for sure. Big moment to win the game against a good Fulham team who've been in very good form. Uh, Fulham have really been giving problems to most teams we've played against, especially in the last 10 games. Um, like I said, Fulham could have gotten something out of this match. I don't think that they, you could say that, you know, they just played poorly and deserved to get bopped off the park. Although Newcastle had 20 shots and two big chances missed with 2.36 XG to, uh, to Fulham's 1.11 XG and one big chance uh, created and one big chance missed. So saying that, you could argue that Newcastle definitely on balance of play were the better side and probably deserved the victory they got and maybe to score one more than they did. 
However, Newcastle continue to cook the season. They look like a team reborn. I don't know what I mean. I do know what Eddie Howe is doing. He's assembled a group of players that are playing for the badge and have all ter- all types of determination and passion to win football matches for their club. I mean, Newcastle have been like Southampton, who we'll get to next, irrelevant for some time. And for the irrelevant meaning, they haven't really been competing for the honors that they you know once were able to when Jad Shear and Jinala and stuff back in the day that made them much more exciting. But uh, this Howell inspiration, man, it's a different thing. It really is. Even Bruno Jim Gamarash, who might be out for at least a couple of weeks, the way he stepped on, you know, got his ankle. Um, he rolled his ankle, got it stepped on, whatever you want to say, but the way he injured himself in, this, in the, is that the, yeah, the first half, uh, second half, sorry, and had to be taken off. So, I mean, we'll see how much they can do without Bruno. Cause I think for me, Bruno is by far their best player. But the, the team is so well, actually, you know, well constructed and well um well set up and, and united that it's very difficult to see, pun intended, Newcastle United, uh, it's difficult to see uh, how they struggle, like, you know, going forward in the next fixture, which is against, to be confirming, Crystal Palace. Yeah, they're probably going to win that as well because Palace's form. I mean, Vieira might be on the chopping block too with this manager who we'll get to next, Frankie Super Frankie Lampard. And you see, you have Everton 1, Southampton 2 at the... Whoa, why am I forgetting the stadium? At Goodison Park. Uh, yeah, not a great game. Not a great showing from Everton at all. At all, at all, at all, at all. It's not the game that Everton fans will be happy with. I mean, it's one they've seen many times this season. Are we going to act like Everton have been, you know, have been anything better than what we saw in this game this season? Not really. They put up some good fights. Like the draw against City was pretty good. I'll give them credit for that. And I mean, they scored earlier in the game and they did they get the crowd high, you know, livened up and, and happy, obviously, when Anana had scored his first goal for, for Everton and he was saying, I'm him, I'm him in the celebration, which I thought was pretty funny because, bro, you're playing for a club that's literally on its way down and out every game they play. They're called Titanic FC in my STS little nicknames for a reason. And uh, again, they, in the second half, the Titanic truly and truly and surely did after, did actually end up arriving, and it sunk like like it always does, Everton. And then that was due to one player, really, uh, James Ward-Prowse again, having the game of his life, and he's been playing really well for Southampton. Despite how bad Southampton have been this season themselves, languishing in 28th position, playing against 19th place, Everton. And you're thinking, okay, you know, like this game definitely will have its moments and both teams will be exposed and open. And they were because Everton had chances to win this game themselves. If you don't think so, then you're blind. That's clearly was the case. And then, of course, you had the, I mean, their XG was literally higher than Southampton's, funnily, funnily, funnily enough. But uh, you can't stop James ward Prowse. David Beckham Jr., as I call him, because that's literally what he is at this point. I don't think he's as good as Beckham. Of course not. Beckham is a, a legend of the game. We could argue ward Prowse will be for Southampton or maybe in the Premier League a cult hero. But... Ward Prowse scoring two very good goals. The first one was excellent ball control and technique and guile on the ball. Like you don't really associate with Ward Prowse all the time. He's not known for that. But excellent uh, composure. Scoring it, making 1-1 in the 46th minute. And then in the 78th minute, 78th minute. And now this is the goal I was going to say to you guys earlier. was contending with the Sally March goal for Brighton against Liverpool. Second one that was, like I said. This is the goal I want to put up next to it, which is an absolutely... <laughs> it's just a... I mean, I'm, there's no, there's no, there's no real adjective to describe this. It's just, a, it's a really, really well taken free kick. Let's just say that it's a free kick that you just, you kind of picture in your mind that you'd like to take when you're taking one, like, and you often just, you know, like I do, send it into Rosette. And James Ward Prowse does it so effortlessly at this point. It's kind of a joke. Like he gets a free kick, it's like a penalty for him. It, it, at this point, we're starting to put him in conversations with players that he should never, he would never be associated with normally. You know, your Messi's, your Ronaldo's of old. Uh, let me give you another example. I don't know, Marcus Alonso and Chelsea, you know, maybe you score a couple of free kicks. Uh, who else am I thinking of? Um, I can't think about a free kick takers on the top of my head, but you know what I mean? You know, Pjanic at one point after for Juventus or Roma. Um, 
but he just wrapping them in time after time after time after time. And this one is, again, absolutely brilliant from Ward Prowse. In the 78th minute, so 78th minute, I can't say that number, 78th minute for Southampton. Really good goal and a great way to win the match for your club. It really is. And Southampton have been in decent form in the last couple of fixtures. And again, this game is no different. The booze at the end of the game for Everton's, uh, from an Everton perspective, were really telling it. I don't even know how Frank Lampard hasn't gotten the second. I say this every week. Like One week, I'm, I'm saying Lampard can stay. You know, he's doing okay for Everton. He might just keep his job, you know, until the summer. And all of a sudden, they lose against a team they should never be losing against. In a manner, they should never be losing against. And then all of a sudden, we're like, oh, yep, Lampard, yep, the chopping rope, the chopping block, the guillotine is coming for you next, my guy. The Saka, the Saka, you know, Saka manager roulette is coming for you. You know, the all the odds in the bookies are saying you're definitely going to next to get your, you know, your, your, to be fired, to lose your job. And he's been able to keep it. I mean, Lampard's an excellent recruiter. And even the, the thing is, Everton actually don't have a bad team. I was looking at their squad and I said, there's a couple guys in here that, again, hypothetically, I'm just like, I don't think it's going to think it's kind of fun. If this team were to get relegated, who, who would be able to? To who would leave and who would leave for a decent fee, or who you know who would be kind of uh, what's it called looked at, and and uh, who would be interested in taking some of their players once they were to go down? I think the first one obviously is Damari Gray. He's having a season and a half. I know Everton have been poor. Trust me, you're telling me. I've been watching them all the time. For some reason, I'm always catching Everton games, but I do see how good Damari Gray has been. He's been brilliant. Uh, Amadou Onana, not just in this game, in general, has been a great signing for Everton. If you don't think so, then you're not watching them enough. Uh, it, Alexander Iwobinio, who's injured one game and is now back on the pitch. He's like, Jesus, you know, he doesn't get hurt. Uh, and then you had uh, Idrissa Gay, who's, again, a very good player. who's very good at um, at PSG. Kind of held that balance really well there. And this team is harder to do so, obviously. Different setup at, the, at Everton. And, I mean, the back three is terrible. They have a great goalkeeper in Pickford, who I think big clubs will be sniffing at, especially Spurs and Chelsea in the summer. I think they'll really be looking at him, and they deserve to. I mean, Pickford's a great goalkeeper. And then you have the uh, Godfrey, who are really great. I think Ben Godfrey's actually a decent footballer. I think he has a lot of potential. And, again, big clubs should be looking at him in the summer, whether everything stay up or not. You guys let me know. If you think they're going to get relegated, I mean, I'll do a whole video on them, actually, at some point as well. I'll be, I already did a rescuing mission on everything last season. They probably need it again, funny enough. So that's how life is. Anyways, moving on. Next fixture. We'll go to Aston Villa versus Leeds. Again, this fi- this fixture finished 2-1 to Aston Villa. I predicted that it would finish 2-0 to Aston Villa. Very good game of football. I mean, Bailey scoring in the opening three minutes of the match, which is great for him after he missed what was considered and should be considered an absolute sitter against Wolves at the end of the game. And, you know, falling to his knees and crying and getting so, so sad and on the ground just devastated. Finally, you know, scoring for Villa fans and making them happy. And then it was made 2-0 after, again, more great work from Bailey, who was, again, was easily the best player on the field. I think by a country mile, he was definitely by far and wide the best player on the pitch. And he set, you know, set up a second goal after slapping a shot at uh, Melier, who, again, not a keeper that I rate as much as people do. And then uh, Buendia was able to nod it in to make it 2-0 to, to the villains. Really good result at the time, obviously, in the 64th minute. But then, of course, you know, Willie Gnonto had, had other words, or Willie Nonto had other words. And he set up Patrick Bamford after some really good footwork. He's really, really, really been good, uh, Nanto, since coming to the Leeds. I know his Vatman rating is, doesn't look great here, but he was very influential. And setting up Bamford the way he did, who loves a goal against Fulham, by the way, against Aston Villa, sorry. Uh, Bamford, that is. And it says Joe Gelhart. Is that true? Was it Gelhart? It could have been Gelhart. Anyways, all I know is Nanto was involved. And it was brilliant football from, um, from, from Leeds on the left-hand side, who are a very pitchy-patchy team. And I think they can also be potentially looking, you know, not looking, but could be staring at the bottom of, of the table. How many points off are they from the bottom of the table? Let's see. They are... Leeds are in 14th position, I understand. And they are... 
You get this right. They are two points. From... <laughs> That's my point. They have a game in hand on the three teams that are in the relegation zone, but they're two points off the relegation zone, which just tells you everything you need to know. So Leeds are, you know, they're not really having the greatest of seasons. They do play some interesting football, and they're very interesting to watch. They have a lot of life to them, and everyone loves that about Leeds, but we know that they can't defend. So that continues to be a trend, as we always say. Um, is there anything I also want to add to this? I'd like to say, no, that's it. We'll move on to... Nottingham Forest versus Leicester. Didn't really catch this game. I'll go over it very quickly. Nottingham Forest 2, Leicester 0. Leicester with more shocking defending. Oh, are we really surprised? No, nobody's surprised. Leicester can't defend. We say this every single week, uh, especially without Madison, who you guys know I'm a big fan of. Without him, they really have nothing going forward. I mean, if it was if it was for some better finishing from Harvey Barnes, this game probably doesn't finish 2 nothing, maybe 2-1, or maybe even 2-2. Maybe even a win for Leicester earlier in the first half, the amount of chances that Harvey Barnes was able to have. Uh, I mean... This is just, this is just, I mean, I don't even know what to say anymore. Leicester, another team who just have been terrible. There's some teams in the Premier League have really just never really turned up. And they don't turn up no matter what day of the week it is, which fixture that they're playing in. Leicester had some good form going into the, the World Cup and coming out of it, they've been absolutely diabolically bad. Brennan Johnson scoring twice for Forrest. And I mean, again, Morgan gives right assisting both goals. And that's a great combination play that you'd like to see between the two light skins, if we call them the light skin FC. And uh, it's a great win for New Nottingham, who have been, again, quietly picking up some momentum right now with underneath Steve Cooper, who you guys know I'm a big fan of. I've said his name many times like that, and you guys know how much I rate him. So happy for him. I like Nottingham Forest to stay up there, an interesting team, and I think they could actually start building something in the Premier League, slowly but surely. On to another team who I think, I mean, one team, uh, no, that's not true. Neither of these teams are building anything right now. Wolves, maybe. They might be cooking something slowly. You know, they're putting it in, in a slow, you know, in a slow burn. They might be putting it in a in a pressure pot, as we say, um, as Jamaicans or and, you know, and anyway, if you know that, I mean, if you know, you know. But anyways, uh, Wolves cooking up something here, you know, but then scoring another really good goal. And again, Wolves are excellent on the counter and they're able to dismantle West Ham on the counterattack the way they did. So I thought it was very well executed the way they went from back to front. You know, from their own, I think it's a piece that they had conceded to then scoring. But then it's making one nothing for Wolves. And if you know Wolves, then this they're literally one nothing FC. So this is a perfect result for them. They were never going to score again after this, especially at home. They don't know what scoring more than one goal at home is Wolves. Unless they get a, a terrible penalty or like, you know, it's, it's an off day and lightning strikes five times in the Molyneux Stadium. But uh, Wolves winning one nothing, And again, really good performance from them. They have a very, very, they're starting to build a proper team now. And I think that these players, a lot of these players are going to get sniffed this year. I think Neves will be looked at again a lot this summer. He continues to impress people. Matias Nunez as well. Very good player. I think Liverpool will definitely be looking at him. Matias Cunha, the one they just signed. Very good player from Atletico. Very good player. They're also linked with, and they're probably by the time this comes out, or maybe in the near future, by the end of the, uh, the January window, they will have signed Pablo Sarabia from PSG. Another very good player. So, Clearly, Lopetegui has his links, and he knows that the Spaniards and Portuguese guys are going to cook for him. And Mario Lamina made his debut for uh, for Wolves. And, I mean, it just they're heading in the right direction. Let's just say that they're definitely heading in the right direction than the wrong one. And, I mean, they sit 16th position and not very far away from the relegation zone as well. But this is a good win for them against a West Ham team who've just been absolutely – they've just been uh, dreadful. Just been absolutely forgettable. They've been so – lackluster in every department of the game. They're normally they're very good defensively and they don't concede goals. We like to associate them with being like, like hammers or, you know, their irons or whatever. They're just very, very solid and like, solid like a rock. But I haven't seen that at all in, in recent weeks since the season started, even started. And David Moyes, just like Lampard, on the chopping block. Lord knows how he still kept his job because West Ham have been terrible this season. 
But anyways, and they'll tell you the same thing. It's not me trying to violate. Like, I'm not trying to no violating. That's just it is what it is. Then we have Brentford versus Bournemouth. Really quickly, Brentford 2. Bournemouth nil. I didn't think the penalty for Tony that was given for Brentford was a penalty. I'll be honest. That Brentford, I thought Brentford and Tony kind of got lucky with that. But again, more shocking refereeing. But and is anyone a surprise? That's just how the Premier League is now. Brentford score in the 39th minute thanks to Ivan Tony. Once that happens, Brentford scoring, Tony scoring for Brentford. You're probably going to win. I don't think Brentford have lost when they've gone ahead in the game. Actually, from my understanding, except like maybe once I think, which just tells you how good they are whenever they take a lead. And Matthias Jensen, again, player that I really like. I really like Matthias. Tidy, tidy footballer. One I think people should look keep an eye out for. A really good player, Matthias Jensen. Has some really good tech to him. And he's just a very all good all-around player. Gives you a bit of everything. A bit of a Swiss Army knife, as I like to say. A bit of a jack of all trades. You know, he can do no wrong in most facets of the in most facets of the game. Brentford winning two nothing against the Bournemouth team again, just like other teams I've mentioned, like the, the West Ham's and the Everton's and even Southampton's, just poor, just really, really poor. And that is my uh, conclusion on the all the fixtures that happened this match week. Now, in terms of my uh, assist of the week, uh, this is a tricky one. It's a very tricky one. I want to say the assist that oh, this is tricky. I'm trying to think of, I actually want to say Ziyech to Havertz. That's what I'm going to say. And, you know, forget my shameless bias of being a Chelsea fan. But I actually thought the pass from Ziyech was actually quite good. It was a very pinpoint cross that you just expect from Ziyech. He's a wizard at the end of the day. And unfortunately, like I said, not playing in the right Chelsea system or side. But he really has that quality in him all the time. And that pass to Havertz was key. That's a beautiful ball. And one even Havertz credited just told you how we all noticed how good the pass was. Unlike the Chelsea admin, funny enough, who was just bigging up Mount for celebrating the goal as opposed to the person who set it up or the person who scored it. And uh, that, was, that was pretty funny. But that's my assist of the week. And my fraud of the week, I mean, I think this is pretty obvious, is VAR. It's the refereeing in England. It's just, I've said this before. I'll say it again. It's diabolical. I mean, the league has so many fans, has so many, so much eyes, so much money, so much attention drawn towards it. For You know, it's a lure and all the international players that play there. But the, the officiating in England is just it's shocking. I think that's part of the Premier League's DNA now. It's part of its identity, which is bad. You don't want it to be known for that. But it is known for that. But my decision I saw this weekend, I'm like, yeah, that should never have been given. and Or this should have been given and it wasn't given. It's just, it happens too much. But anyways, football continues. I still love watching it all the time. And um, yeah, on that note, that's the end of the episode. I mean, I'll talk quickly on my other European fixtures like I like to do at the end of, the, at, at the end of these episodes. STS European edition. Napoli get absolutely thrashing Juventus and will probably head on their way to win this Scudetto, which I'm very happy for them. Them and Arsenal, they really deserve it, especially Napoli more so than Arsenal. The Chelsea fan, I have to put that out there. But I'm happy for Arsenal too. If any team I'd like to win the Premier League has not named Chelsea or Manchester City, I think it would be Arsenal next. Um, so that's just my opinion. But uh, yeah, Napoli winning really, doing I mean, absolutely sensationally well. They've been so, 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 so good this season. So good, so good, so good. Like so, 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 so. so. I'll say, I keep saying it. They've been so good. Kavarachkelia and Victor Asimen have been absolutely out of this world. They've been bonkers good. Uh, the good, especially that goal for, you know Asimen scored to make it. I think it was four one at the time. Really good header and a great pass from Kavarachkelia to find him. It's just. The Napoli team is clicking on clicking and, and, and flicking and moving and, and just grooving and in motion and, and just absolutely blending in all cylinders. That's what I'm trying to say. You know, going on a bit of a poetic rant there, but I just they've been so good. PSG losing again. And it's funny, the first against La, and now against, uh, against Rennes, uh, Stade de Rennes. 
away from home, you know, again, it was actually a very good goal that Ren had scored. I, I do uh, want to point that out. I thought the football Ren did to get, get, create that opportunity was quite impressive. PSG, again, making Uber Eats very interesting this season. It's good because Marseille are in good form. Obviously, Ren are in good form. Uh, Lens are in good form. I think Lens won this, season, uh, won this, uh, this past weekend as well. Uh, again, just showing you that the, the, this year PSG and yes, you have all this money, you have all these players, but there's no guarantee that you're going to go on to, to storm off the league the way you think you will. You know, Lille obviously with the big win, even Ross Barclino with Nice. Uh, I think I think a couple of games over. Oh, Monaco winning seven one by the way, which is absolutely ridiculous. Atalanta beating Salernitana eight two. Like this, that's the first time first time I think uh, an Italian team has scored eight goals, and I think like, something some like ridiculous amount of years. It's been a while since that last happened. It just happened. It, uh, just to say, and it's also pretty funny because in that game you had ten goal scorers or eight goal scorers for one team, two for the other for Salernitana, that is, and eight for Atalanta, and none of them for Atalanta was the same player scoring twice. It was all a different player every single time, which I don't think ever, ever the likelihood that happens is almost it's it's unheard, it's un, it's obscene. You'd never hear that. I don't think it's a it's, it's ever happened. No, all different goal scorers, which is nuts. But anyways. That's my little European edition roundup. Thank you guys for listening, as always, to the Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast. Make sure to check out my other episodes and make sure to download the Stephen Talk Soccer Podcast as well. We're trying to continue to push this and go even bigger and more and more global. I'm getting more and more traction slowly, which I'm loving. I'm loving all you guys' support. Trust me, it's, it's not, it never goes unnoticed. I always appreciate the SDS fam and the squad, as we call it. Um, but yeah, make sure to download them on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. I'm absolutely everywhere, and I got, promise more quality will come in, will come in the future. Um, I've got more guests like I always do, you know, coming as well. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. And in the meantime, I'll keep pushing with these little reviews that you guys let me know if you love them. I'll, I'll find a way to even jazz them up a bit more. But uh, thank you guys for listening. I'll be back again very, very shortly in the near future. Again, like you know, I will. I'm back. Like I never back like I never left, like I'm saying nowadays. Uh, thank you guys for listening again. Yeah. And oh, one more thing. More than Hey, everyone. Are you enjoying the content? please be sure to leave a rating and a review and to check out my other episodes. If you're looking for more Steven Talks Soccer content, you can find me at STS Pod on Instagram, at Steve Talks Footy on Twitter, and at Steven Talks Soccer on TikTok. Become a consistent starter in the STS squad.